Well, please uh, turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, Galatians 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 15 and 16 this week and next, Lord willing. I uh, want to thank you for uh, many of the, the uh, emails and, and just phone calls, texts, and, and uh, just other ways you let me know you're praying for our family uh, this week. Um, you know, two weeks ago, for those of you who don't know, two weeks ago on this Tuesday, I had to make an emergency trip down to Dallas. Uh, my uh, dad was in some pretty rough shape, and so went down there to, to check on things and see how I could help uh, mom and, and the other siblings down there. And uh, by God's grace, uh, dad is, is doing certainly better than he was two weeks ago. I've been getting some uh, text messages, even though this, this morning, and, and you can continue to pray for him. He was, he's been in the hospital this whole time trying to get him uh, well enough to do a surgery this, this next week, uh, and then got some text messages this morning saying he's back in the ICU uh, with some low blood pressure and blood loss and things like that. So just if, you, if, if God brings it to mind, continue to, to pray for him, and, and, and my mom especially, as she does such a great job of, of caring for and, and loving him. But, but thank you for your graciousness in allowing me to be gone last week, and thanks to, to Phil for... Um, preaching and, and all the staff and the, uh, the many ways that uh, they picked up the slack for me being gone, so appreciate that. Well, a few weeks ago, we're here in Galatians 2, a few weeks ago, someone emailed me a, a great question. They said, you know, Daniel, you've been talking about finding freedom in the true gospel. That's kind of the big theme of Galatians, and we've been in the first section talking about the, the source of the true gospel, but uh, this, this brother emailed me. He said, okay, but, but what is the true gospel? Can you kind of remind us what's the core message of the gospel? Which is a great question and what we're going to be talking about uh, this week and over the next few weeks as we transition from talking about this, the source of the gospel to the content of the gospel. As we look at verses 15 and 16, we're really seeing the, the core message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I trust that this will be an encouraging passage to you as you study it with me. You know, we can disagree on a lot of things. We can disagree on a lot of even important things in uh, our faith, and we can trust that God will bring us to right understanding, certainly ultimately. But on, on this issue, the issue of the gospel, there can be no disagreement. This is the core of our faith. We believe that we're justified, declared righteous, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, by the grace of God alone. That's the core of the gospel message, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning and over the next few weeks. Now, uh, just kind of a reminder of what's been happening. Remember, Paul has been talking about the, the source of the true gospel and various things that, that prove that his gospel is from God, and he talks about how the apostles confirmed his gospel, and that shows that the gospel comes from God. They recognize that as well. And now he's in a section of Galatians, this kind of this biographical, autobiographical section where he's talking about a, a confrontation that shows that the source of his gospel is from God. And he's confronting Peter, and he's showing that, that even the apostle Peter is subject to the authority of God's gospel message. And so that's, that's kind of where we are, Paul's conversation with Peter. And, and if you, some of your translations, the, as you be, if you look at your text here, some of your translations may, in verse 14, where Paul begins to 
talk to Peter, they may have these little quotation marks. And for some, the quotation mark may end in verse 14. But I believe that the verses that follow are, are still things that Peter is being told by Paul, things that Paul is saying to Peter. Or if he didn't say these exact words, he certainly said something similar to this. And so I'm treating this as Paul's continued words to Peter. Okay, And so if you would, if you're able to, if you please stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. And I'm going I'm to go back. We're looking at verses 15 and 16, but I'm going to go back into verse 14 to kind of give us the flow of what I think Paul is saying to Peter. Verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. And Heavenly Father, we would ask for you to be very gracious to us today. As we look at the gospel, as we look at the the core of your message of of good news to us, we pray that you would help us to understand it. We pray that you'd help us to believe it, to place our confidence in your Son, Jesus, alone. And we pray that by your grace, you'd help us to live in in obedience to the gospel, a life that's consistent with the truths of the gospel. I pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. As you look at this text with me, I want you to notice something that's, that's happening here. Notice what Paul is, is saying to Peter in these two verses. Paul is, is saying to Peter, as, as he confronts him, he says, Look, Peter, there's, there's something that you and I know. There's something that you and I understand. And, and what is Paul telling Peter that he and Peter understand? He says, You and I understand how a person is justified. How a person is is justified. And that word justified is a word that we will spend most of our time talking about together this morning, helping us to understand exactly what that word means. Paul is telling Peter, look, Peter, you and I know something. We know how a person is is justified. And even though we're going to spend most of the time talking about this this word justified, let me just give you kind of a a, a quick definition. When we say justified, we mean to be declared righteous. Peter says, Paul, you and I know how a person is declared righteous. We know how a person is is justified. And this idea of justification, of, of how a person can be in right relationship with God, is one of the most important questions, is the most important question, that a person can consider and answer rightly. In our hearts, I believe each of us, every human being who has the ability to look around them and 
see God's creation and understand God's general revelation of of the universe and the galaxy and creation and stars and and their own consider their own existence i believe that every person in their heart understands that things are not naturally right between themselves and god Every human being, whether they're willing to admit it to themselves or not, I believe that every single one of us understands, look, things are, are not right between me and creator God. The, the God who is responsible, the one who is responsible for the, the creation of all these things, I, I'm not naturally right before him. There, there's something wrong with me. I, I, I've sinned and somehow I need to get right with this creator God. I believe we all instinctively, if, if that's the right word to use, understand that to be true. Muslims understand that to be true. Muslims believe that there's going to be a, a day of judgment and everyone's going to be raised from the dead and then everyone's going to, going to wait in line and, and be judged by God. It may take, I think some of them say, like up to 50,000 years, but at some point every person is going to, to stand before God, the Muslims believe, and, and they're going to be judged on the basis of their deeds. And, and if they're, they're Good deeds outweigh their bad deeds. They're going to enter into heaven. But if their bad deeds outweigh their good deeds, they're going to experience hell and, and be there forever. And so the, the Muslims believe that right now there's this, this time that we have to, to do good things. And we need to, to do good things that someday God will what? Justify us. In the Bible, in the book of Job, Job's friends are aware of the need for justification. In Job chapter 25, one of Job's friends, Bildad, says this, this amazing thing in, in chapter 25. He says, Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in his high heaven. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not arise? In other words, where's the, where's the end of God's authority and power? There, there is no end of that God's power and authority and dominion. And then he makes, he makes this statement, this question that's the exact right conclusion to make. How then, if, if it's true that God is that majestic and that his dominion is, is that, that far, that far-reaching, how then... Can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm? Look, if, if God is in the heaven and, and God, God's authority, his dominion is, is over all things, how can, how can one stand right before God? And Bill Dad is like, you, you can't. It's, it's, a, it's a problem. Martin Luther famously struggled with this. Martin Luther, in the 1500s, he, he's writing about the first time that he performed the Mass. And he says, I, who, am, who was ashes, dust, full of sins, was addressing the living and eternal and true God. He says, I said these words, Thou, therefore, most merciful Father... We offer to thee the living, the true, and the eternal God. And he says, I, I thought with what 
impudence am I addressing so great a majesty when everybody should be terrified when looking at or conversing with some prince or king? So if I would get nervous, Luther is saying, in front of a a prince, how much more should I tremble and be in fear as I think that I am addressing the eternal God? And Luther recognized this problem. He said, okay, what, what can I do? How can I be just before this God? And so Luther did everything that the church prescribed in order to, to be found just before God. He prayed. He, he um, fasted. He refused a blanket at night. And he shivered in the cold just hoping that perhaps he was doing what he needed to do to deal with his sin. Justification, being declared righteous by God, is a need that all of us have, and I believe that all of us in our hearts recognize the need for that justification, even if we haven't admitted it to ourselves. And perhaps it's a question that you've been struggling with as well. Maybe you're a person at some point in your life where you prayed a prayer, you you professed your faith in Jesus Christ, but now as you consider sin, you think, okay, I I know that I prayed this prayer and I know that the gospel says that God forgives us, but but seriously, as I think about and I contemplate my my wickedness, how in the world, as as I find out more about God's holiness, how can I be confident that things are okay between God and I? And, and then you think, okay, even if, I, even if I do believe that God has has declared me just, on what basis has he done that? And, and how can I continue to live rightly before God? And how do, I, how do I work in this faith with recognizing I'm saved by faith alone? How can I know that a person can be right before God? The answer to that question, how can a person be right before God? The answer to that question is what? It's, it's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the core message that Paul has been defending and describing, which brings us to this text. And some would say that this is the, these are the, the most important verses in all of Galatians, this gospel that Paul has been defending, this, that he has been describing. This, these verses are a clear, short summary of the gospel. And Paul is speaking to Peter here, He's saying, look, this is the core of this this gospel message. And here's the central idea that I want us to think about this week and next as we talk about the gospel, verses 15 and 16. God justifies us, God declares us righteous through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone and not by our works. God justifies us, he declares us righteous through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone and not by our works. That's the central message of these verses. And some of you may be saying, okay, this is, like, this is Christianity 101, okay? Um, I can check out the next two weeks because I'm pretty sure, Daniel, I've already got this one down. And the, the beautiful thing is this is a simple message, right? I mean, the message that I'm saved by believing in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation, that is a, a beautiful it's a beautifully simple message, and a five-year-old can under, a four-year-old can understand the truth of that message. And and by God's grace, many of our children have believed and affirmed that that truth and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, at the same time, even though it's a simple truth, it's a profound truth. And I'll tell you, you know, just just studying this this past week, there were there were times and the weeks before, just kind of just I I. I 
think that I'd wrap my mind around some aspect of this basic gospel message. And then I thought about another, another application. I thought, okay, even though I have been a Christian for many years, have a couple seminary degrees, 41 years old, there are still aspects of the gospel message I struggle to think through. How do I apply this rightly? And I'm in some good company because Peter struggled with it as well. Okay? And so this is what we're going to be wrestling with over the next few weeks together, all right? So, let me, uh, let me show you this, this passage again. Let's, let's look at this, this text. Let me show you this verse. Okay. Um, this is not what I thought it was going to look like, but that's great. Um, it is the right verse, so let's, 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 let's talk about this here. As I was trying to memorize through the book of Galatians, uh, this, was, this was the hardest this was the hardest uh, section for me to, to get right. Every time I kind of started going through this, I would, I'd mess up because there's a lot of words that are repeated, and sometimes it seems like Paul's going to start going in this direction, then he kind of goes back, and he seems like he's doing a loop. Let, let me just kind of talk about what's, what's going on here. There are, there are three words or phrases that are repeated three times, okay? And I tried to kind of color code these a little bit. Uh, the first word is the word justified, okay? And you see that, that word justified occurs three times, okay? It's there in the green. It's, it's the same word in Greek. It's in different tenses, but that word justified, okay? That's, that's the first word that I want you to notice. The, the second word is the, the word works, okay? That's there in, in red, works of the law. And that occurs three times in this passage also. You notice that? And then the, the third uh, word that we see, and, and there's, there's kind of two different words that are used here. One's a verb, one's a noun, but it's, it's the same, same basic word. It's, it's pistis, faith, uh, is, is the noun, or pistuo, it's belief. So that, that same idea, that's, that's there in the blue. Okay, so you see that? Okay. So each of these three words occurs three times. Now, also, as you notice this, look at, look at what we also see. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And then notice that at the beginning and at the end, Paul talks about how a person is not justified. Okay? And how is a person not justified? What is it? By works, right? Okay, so at the beginning, we know the person is not justified by works of the law. And then you go to the end. By works of the law, no one will be justified. So beginning and the end, Justified not by works. Works don't justify. Beginning and the end. That's, that's, those are the bookends. Okay? And then what do you have in the middle? Okay. In the middle, you have how you are justified. You're justified not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And then the, the very center is the main verb of this, this, this one long sentence in Greek, what, so what have we done? We believed in Jesus. Then why? Because we, we want to be justified by faith in Christ. Okay? So the bookends of the verse say, look, here's how you're not justified. You're not justified by works. And the very center of the text is, look, you're justified, but you're declared righteous by believing in Jesus. You see that? So here's how we're going to walk through this passage. Go ahead and show the, the next. Here's, here's the three points that we're going to look at. All right? So three words. Justified, works, faith. So here are the three things we're going to kind of talk about, looking at each of those words for each point. First of all, we're going to see, and this is all we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see that every person needs to be 
justified. Every person needs to be justified. Then, focusing on the word justified. Then next week, we're going to see the next few points. Secondly, no person can be justified by works. We're going to talk about what that word works means. Paul uses the expression works the law. So no person can be justified by works. Every person needs to be justified. No person can be justified by works. And then the third truth that we're going to consider next week, Lord willing, Every person must place their faith, they must believe in Jesus Christ alone to be justified. So that's how we're going to walk through this sentence, these two verses here in Galatians 2, Galatians 2, 15 and 16. Every person needs to be justified. No person can be justified by works. And then each person must place their faith in Jesus Christ alone to be justified. Believe, place your faith in. All right? So let's, let's focus here on the first truth. Every person needs to be justified. Look at verse 15. What does Paul say? Remember, Paul is, is talking to Peter. Peter has been eating with the Gentiles. Then these Jews come from Antioch, and Peter pulls back. And Paul says, look, um, verse 15. 14, you know, we, you're a Jew, you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So what's happening here? Remember, here's, here's the church in Antioch, okay? And in the church of Antioch, you have two groups. You have the Gentiles and you have the Jews. And Before these guys from Jerusalem come to Antioch, what's happening? You have Peter and the other Jews eating with the Gentiles. These these two groups are enjoying fellowship together. But then these Jews from Jerusalem come and and Peter pulls back from fellowshipping with the Gentiles and now he's in the the cool club. He's just eating with the the Jews. And Paul is saying, look, uh, Peter... Um, what are you doing here? He says, yeah, it, it's true. You and I are part of the, the Jew group. We're part of, of this group. And we're not, we're not Jews because we used to be Gentiles and then we did some things so we, 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 we could become Jewish. We're Jews by birth. or We're Jews by nature. So we're, we're part of this, of this elite group just by the fact of, of who we are. We're essentially Jewish. Now, is that a good thing? Well, Paul, as he talks in other places in Scripture, is going to say, of course that's a good thing. Romans 3, he says, what advantage does a Jew have? Well, for one thing, the Jews, he says, were entrusted with the oracles of God. In Romans chapter 9, he's going to talk about the benefit of, of being a Jew. He says, uh, the, the Israelites, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So Paul says, yeah, Peter, I agree. You and I are Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners. We have we have access to God in a special way. In Ephesians, Paul would say this to Gentiles. He would say, you used to be separated from the Messiah, from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, two groups, Gentiles, Jews, and 
Paul tells Peter, yeah, we're part of the Jew group. We're not Gentile sinners. We're, we're Jews. But there's a problem. The problem is that even being a Jew didn't what? What's the word we're talking about this morning? It didn't justify, right? Even being a Jew, even having access to the law, even having access to the commandments, even having access to the the Messiah didn't intrinsically make you justified. You still needed justification. You still needed to be declared righteous. Simply being a Jew by birth was not sufficient to cause you to be justified. So you, you see the problem? Paul's saying, look, Peter, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the, and the, the people from Jerusalem or whatever, these, these Judaizers, you're trying to get these Gentiles to go from being a Gentile to being a Jew. So you get them circumcised, you get them eating the right things, you get them observing the right dates. Now what? You've moved them from being a Gentile to a Jew, but, but so what? Being a Jew wasn't sufficient for us to be justified, and it won't be sufficient for them either. It still takes something else because every person, Jew, Gentile, needs justification, needs to be declared righteous by God. Paul would say this in Romans chapter 2. He's speaking to Jews. He says, you call yourself a Jew. You rely on the law. You boast in God. You know his will. You approve of what is excellent because you're instructed from the law. And if you're, you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law and dishonor God by breaking the law. In other words, hey, Jew, congratulations. Yeah, you have access to the commandments, but you are just as much in violation of the law of God as the Gentile who doesn't even know it. So congratulations, you've brought this Gentile into Judaism, and now what? They still need to be justified. They're still just as far from God and being declared righteous as they were before we began this whole process. Paul's setting a trap for Peter in some ways, rhetorically. Hey, yeah, we're we're Jews by birth and we're not Gentile sinners. How'd that work out for us? What do we know? We know that a person isn't justified by the law that we have, but through faith in Jesus. So, So we did that. That's what we did. We believed in Jesus. Now, brothers and sisters, it's it's a trap we fall into as well. And we'll talk about this more as we talk about works of the law, but but just, just think about this this morning. You and I are in a camp. There's a there's a Bethany community camp. And it's, it's a very nice camp, very lovely, right? We do some wonderful things at Bethany Community Church. And hopefully we do, we do these things because they're things that we believe God would desire us to do, right? And we want to be in obedience to him. But we have to be very careful. 
Because the things that we do at, at Bethany Community Church that kind of make us, this, this camp, this, this, this church, this local assembly, are not things that bring about justification. In other words, sometimes we can say, okay, these are, these are the, the things that I do in order to be obedient to God, and so other people need to do exactly what I'm doing in order to, to look right. They need to have the, the, exact same, uh, the exact same Sunday school classes or the exact same uh, discipleship plan, or the exact same care group structure, or the exact same awesome ESV Bible translation or NIV, whatever it is that we're using. And so um, we, we, we think, okay, to be part of be part of, of the, the, the best camp. These are the things we have to do. And Paul is saying, look, don't fall into this trap. Don't believe that these are the things that a person needs to do in order for you to have fellowship with them. Because in order to have fellowship with God, they need to be justified. They're justified not by works, but through faith. The Gentiles needed something. The Jews needed something. They needed what we call justification. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what justification is and and what it's not. Kind of five truths here for us to think through in the time we have this morning. Oh, that's by way of introduction as we get to the text now. No. Number one, uh, justification, right? Justification is a legal declaration by God that one is righteous. Justification is a legal declaration by God that that one is righteous. There's more to it than that, but we're going to start with that kind of basic definition. And as you look at this this word justification and you look at its Old Testament usage and its its New Testament usage, you see it very much used in a a legal sense. So, for example, in Deuteronomy, Moses writes, if there's a dispute between men and they, they come into court and judges decide between them, they acquit the innocent. They declare righteous the innocent and condemn the guilty. Romans 8.33 uh, talks about justification in a kind of a courtroom setting. Who shall bring any charge against God's elected is God who, who justifies. So there's a, a legal aspect to justification. You're, you're found and you're, you're, con- you're accused of sin, and a judge needs to, God needs to favorably render a verdict, uh, the verdict of not just not guilty, but righteous. On uh, Tuesday night, when we were trying to get to St. Louis for me to catch a flight to get down to, to Dallas, I, I prayed what I think is a very theologically dubious prayer. I, I prayed, Lord, please help me don't get caught. Help me not get caught in my violation of the law here, okay? Because I was, I was not driving the recommended speed limit, right? I was, I was, there's, in fact, in fact, I asked Whitney to pull over and let me drive so that um, we could be a little more aggressive, okay? And so, so my, my prayer was uh, not, not help me obey the law. It was, Lord, help me not get caught breaking the law. And, uh, and, and that's, that's not justification, right? Because I, I knew that if I was if I was pulled, I had no I had no defense in, in terms of uh, I, I I was definitely doing what was was not legal. Okay, that's not justification. Justification is 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 a a judge looking at a person saying, okay, you are not guilty of that which you were accused. Instead, you're righteous. That's that's the first thing. It's a, a legal declaration by God. It's God's favorable verdict. Number two, number two, justification is not ignoring sin, okay? Justification is not ignoring sin. 
There's a phrase that I've heard us use sometimes. It's probably a phrase that, that I've used as well. Uh, but sometimes people say, well, to be justified is, is it's just as if I'd never sinned. Okay? Now, there's certainly some truth to that, but that's, that's not the fullness of a right understanding of justification because that kind of implies that, well, uh, God looks at me and says, okay, it's, it's like you've never sinned. We're not going to deal with the sin anymore. And, and that's, that's not true. In fact, what, what do we see in Proverbs 17.15? Proverbs 17.15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now, that's, let me read that again because that's a very important thing to consider. It says, He who justifies the wicked, he who declares righteous the wicked, and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now, now what's the problem with that? The problem is that, that I'm the wicked. And so if God just simply says, okay, you know what, you're, you're wicked, but, you know, you're, you're a nice guy. Um, let's, let's, just, let's just ignore this for now and, and try to do better. I'm going to declare you righteous and now move on. That would not be just, justification as the Bible describes it. Third thing here, a third thing to think about, justification is not sanctification. Justification is not sanctification. Now, now this is very important. It's going to become even more important as we go through the rest of Galatians. Really what we're looking at here in these two verses kind of serves as a foundation for all that we're going to continue to look at as we go through Galatians. But justification is not sanctification. Now, some would say this. Uh, Some would say uh, justification is a a slow process. In fact, this is something that Martin Luther and the the Roman Catholic Church argued about and something the Roman Catholic Church would would still teach today. And and some liberal Protestants would would teach this as well. They would say this. This this is the wrong understanding of justification. They would say this. A person is, is forgiven by God. Okay, at some moment. So the Roman Catholics, for example, would say a, a person is, is forgiven at, at baptism, for example. So infants baptized and they're forgiven and they're welcomed into the, the church. And, and then what happens? Well, then a person, a forgiven person, by God's grace, forgiven, then a person begins to, to do good things. And what do they do? They, they merit more of God's grace. And so God gives them more grace. And then in cooperation with, with God's grace and our efforts, we, we do a little bit more. And then as we do more, we get a little more of God's grace. And so we continue to, to become more righteous, and, and then we become more righteous. And then ultimately, hopefully, finally, we're going to be what? Justified, declared righteous. That's what we call, there's, there's a theological word, infused justification. So you, you start at the very beginning, and then you, be, you begin to, to do good things, and you begin to do more good things, and do more good things. Then finally, hopefully, at the, at the end of life, and perhaps through the process of purgatory, eventually you can be declared righteous, justified. Now, what I would argue on the, on the basis of what we see in Scripture and what we see here in, in Galatians is, is that's a very wrong way to understand justification. What that process is describing, in fact, even to say it, that, that's too strong, uh, that's too positive. The, the right way to understand what's happening throughout a person's life is, is sanctification. 
So in, instead, of, instead of infused justification, there's a word we call imputed justification. So I, I, I become a believer. I place my faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about this next week. I, I place my faith in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, I'm, I'm justified. I'm declared righteous. And then what happens? In, in my state of being declared righteous, being found not on the basis of my own works, but on the basis of Jesus Christ's work on the cross and his perfect obedience in his life, what happens? In that state of righteousness, I continue to, to live and to grow and to become sanctified. I become more and more righteous. I become more and more devoted to God and his holiness. That's, that process is sanctification. So many, many people confuse justification and sanctification and kind of mix them together. That that's not a biblical understanding. Justification is not sanctification. Now, now Luther really struggled with this. In fact, Mike read from Romans chapter 1 uh, earlier in our worship service. And, and listen to what Romans 1 says again. Luther comes to this passage and in, in 16 chapter, verse 16 chapter 1 Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And Luther reads that and goes, how in the world can anyone be excited about God's righteousness being revealed? Because as, as Luther thinks about God's righteousness, he thinks, this is a bad thing because I'm a wicked person. And whenever God's righteousness is revealed, I'm, I'm going to, to cower in fear. But then, then he thinks about it. He goes, wait a minute. I, I think this passage is saying something else. The righteousness that I need is not something that I, I slowly earn throughout my lifetime so eventually I can become righteous or justified. But this righteousness that I receive is, is at the very beginning of my relationship with God is his righteousness. His, his, his righteousness is revealed not to condemn me, but to save me. Romans 5 says we've been justified, verse 1, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't, be, we don't become righteous. We don't get declared justified at the very end of life, but it's at the beginning of our relationship with God that he and his grace justifies us. Now, let's think back to the context of Paul and Peter and their conversation and what's going on in the church of Antioch. Do you see how dangerous what Peter is doing is for the church. Because Peter has said, yeah, we're all, we're all Christians. We're all, we're all part of this, this, this family. And then he pulls back and goes, yeah, but you guys aren't Jews. You're Gentiles still. So we're not really in relationship together. There are still some things that you need to do yourself before you can really be right with God and with us. And Paul is saying, oh, 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 no, 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 no. This undermines the gospel itself because the, the, the message of the gospel is justification, faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, not by our works. It's not something we earn. It's something that God gives us. And if you're going to tell the Gentiles they have to earn it, they are in for a world of danger, which, which, which asks, brings us to this question. Okay, look, how can God... This is so important. How can God pretend 
and this is what the, our Roman Catholic friends would say to us, how can God pretend that you're righteous when you're not? How can God pretend that you're righteous at the very beginning when you're, you're clearly not? That brings us to the fourth thing about justification. Justification requires both the forgiveness of sins and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. One theologian, John Frame, puts it this way. He says, The elements of this declaration of justification are the forgiveness of sins and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. Because of Christ, God takes away our sins from us so they may never again arise to condemn us. God removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west, but he also imputes Christ's righteousness. This means that not only does he remove our sin, but that he he positively adds to us the perfect righteousness of Jesus so that our legal status is not just not guilty, not neutral, but righteous. Listen to this. This is John Frame. He says, If you think of your legal status numerically, sin had plunged you into negative numbers. God's forgiveness brings you back up to zero, but the righteousness of Christ took you far above zero in the eyes of God. This is what's called double imputation. God imputes our sins to Jesus and Jesus' righteousness to us. It's a trade. Imputation. Imagine I was going to buy your car. And I came to you and I said, I would like to buy your car. And you said, Daniel, I would, I would love to sell you my car, but you already owe me $10,000. And I say, I'm very sorry about that. Uh, will you forgive me the $10,000? And you look at me and go, okay, fine. Uh, you're such a nice guy. I forgive you the $10,000. And I said, well, now can I have your car? No, you still, need, you still need to give me something for the car. When it comes to our relationship with God, sometimes we think, well, I just need to be forgiven. No, you do need to be forgiven, but that's not all that you need. You need not just forgiveness that brings you back up to, to this, this, this neutral level. You need righteousness to appear before God. So God gives us both. Psalm 103, 3, forgiveness of sins. He forgives all our iniquity. He heals our diseases. Psalm 134, but with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. And then he also gives us righteousness. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. God gives us not just forgiveness, but he gives us the righteousness that's found in his son Jesus. And we're going to unpack more of that next week. Saturday morning, I was uh, in the waiting room of the hospital. It was pre-dawn, early hours of the morning, and my, uh, my mom, I was in the waiting room. My mom texted me and said, hey, why don't you come on back to the room and ready for you? So I went back in the room and walked in the room. I said, oh, hold on, forgot my, my phone in the waiting room. So I went back to the waiting room, and the phone was gone, disappeared. Went back into the waiting into the into my dad's room and uh, looked at my iPad, find my phone. I thought, Maybe I just kind of dropped it somewhere in the hallway or something and looked at the little map there and, and know uh, my phone is, is kind of running away. Um, and a couple blocks away at this point, I'm like, oh, oh dear, I'm, I'm never going to see that little guy again. Um, and so I said, well, hold, uh, mom, let me take dad's phone. Watch, watch my phone on this iPad. I'm going to call you. I, I see where it is. It's just a, it's a block away here in a dark parking garage in downtown Dallas. Um, 
I'm going to go there. Uh, seems like a good plan. I'm sleep deprived at this point. So I'm going to go there, see if I can find my phone. Maybe it'll just be like there on the, the pavement with a little ribbon around it. Um, so I get in my dad's car. I have his cell phone. I, I go to this place. Uh, it's, it's dark. There's an illegally parked car. And so I call, I'm going to call before I walk in there and call my mom. She goes, no, it's, on, it's, it's, it's moving around. And it, it, long story short, it had, the phone had gotten on a bus and was, was traveling around downtown Dallas to these different spots. And finally, the, the phone gets off at a stop and goes to this, this lake in an industrial complex and um, was walking around the, the lake. And my mom guides me there, and I, I'm on the phone with her. I say, okay, I'm here. Where is it? She goes, it should be right in front of you, walking this direction. I look, and there's a, there's a man uh, right where my phone is as well, I think. And so I think, well... Um, I found the phone. I hadn't really thought this part through yet. Um, so I walk out of the truck, and there's a, another guy walking around. I say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go. And I had this plan of how I was going to slowly approach him. And how you doing? You have anything that's not yours? <laughs> kind of feel him out. Do you have a knife? You know, things, things like that. So I... I Part, part one of the plan was to tell this guy, hey, watch what happens. You know, like, get ready to call someone if something goes bad here. So, hey, I'm, um, I'm going to go talk to this guy. And, and he says, um, I said, I think he has my cell phone. And the guy says, you have a cell phone? I said, this is my dad's cell phone. Don't, don't, don't make this confusing. Just watch what happens. He goes, okay, hold on. And the guy that I was talking to just yells at this other guy, hey, do you have his cell phone? And I'm ready to, I'm ready to chase him. Again, I don't know what I'd do once I caught him, but um, the guy... The guy turns around, uh, who had the phone, and he goes, yeah, I, I have your phone. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. And he walks up to me, and he, and he gives me the phone. He goes, we, I'm sorry, we forgive me. Oh, here's the charger, which I thought was a nice move, right? I mean, yeah. and I said, uh, yeah, yeah. I, and and I, I don't understand this part. Of the story. Then I gave him $20, um, <laughs> which I don't give anyone $20. I don't under, but if you still want, I don't know. Um, yeah, and I, and I he, and he said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm homeless. I've been kicked out of these different hospitals. I'm, I'm struggling. And we, you know, we talked and, and I, yeah, so, um, and so I forgave him, of course. And I was really glad to get the phone back, right? Now let's, let's imagine, let's imagine that the only sin that a person could be condemned for was, was stealing an iPhone, okay? At that moment, you would think, okay, well, he's in trouble and I'm not, Right? I've never stolen an iPhone, but but that's not true. Even if stealing an iPhone was the only sin that could condemn a person and and not allow them to be, uh, allow them to experience the wrath of God, we're still both in trouble. Because not only is he guilty of that, I don't have the righteousness I need. You understand what I'm saying? I don't need just forgiveness, I need righteousness. I need to be declared righteous by God. The last truth about justification. The last truth. Justification is God's gift and not a result of our works. Now, this is what we're going to really be unpacking next week. But what, what I want you to think about is, is this. Justification. 
Jesus says in John 6:44, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day." We need God's justification. We need God to look at us and say, "You are righteous." And we in and of ourselves do not have the ability to 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 forgive our sins. We don't have the ability to be righteous. We don't have the ability to work for it, and we don't even have the ability to rightly respond in faith. All of that has to come from God by his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of your son Jesus. We thank you that he has, in his grace, through you through him, have drawn us to yourself, and we pray that we would rightly, uh, rightly respond to you. We pray that we would uh, live lives in in obedience to to the gospel, consistent with the gospel, recognizing our complete and total dependence on you. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.